Today's TribCast is presented by the Meadow Center for Preventing Educational Risk. The Meadow Center for Preventing Educational Risk translates its cutting-edge research into real-world support for educators. Read one of our success stories at meadowcenters.org. And the Texas Association of Realtors. Are your property taxes too high? It's time to take action. Learn more at hiddenpropertytax.com. Texas Talking Out. What was that that you said? Texas Talking Out. Gonna hoop upside your head. Texas Talking Out. Tell me who can you trust when Texas guys are I'm Bill Stotesbury, General Manager of KORU-TV, Austin PBS, and a proud public media partner of the Texas Tribune. On November 7, 1967, President Lyndon Johnson signed the Public Broadcasting Act, creating the nation's first public broadcasting system with a mission to, in his words, be a network for knowledge. From firing line to front line, from Mr. Rogers to Sesame Street, Public media has been educating, entertaining, and engaging audiences for 50 years. So happy birthday to the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, NPR, and PBS, and here's to many more years of inspiring the explorers among us. And now, here's your host, Emily Ramshaw. Thank you. This is Emily Ramshaw here with the second uh, Tribcast in what month are we in? November? Oh, I don't even know. Which we're November. Is it November? I think we've made it into November. It feels <laughs> it feels like it's been endless already. Uh, I'm here with CEO Evan Smith. Hiya. Hiya, Evan. We're gonna rush through this tripcast because Evan has to get on an airplane. Nobody cares. If I'm late, it's fine. I have clear. Criminal justice reporter Jolie McCulloch on her inaugural. Do you have clear? <laughs> don't brag about having clear on the podcast. <laughs> I'm not bragging about it. I'm asking out of genuine concern for my colleagues. I don't even know what colleague. that is. Oh, please. Is it, what is this? It's like the it's like the rich person's version of TSA <laughs> pre-check. This is why I don't even it's know not, what it is. You don't have is. to be rich to have clear. You just need to have a monocle and a thing of great poupon. Right. And political reporter and tweeter in chief Patrick Svitek. Good afternoon. Morning. It's still it's usually. <laughs> you are such a spaz. We don't know. I don't know what month it is. Just Patrick doesn't know what time week, of day it is. It's the same thing. He's like in another world. No, I, I mean, just, not all of us have the security of having clear. Usually Sometimes our lives are a little struggle. Mom. Exactly. Patrick, just get clear. It'll all be fine. <laughs> all right. We're going to start. I tried to give you a free clear subscription for three months. And I know. I never did it. it. I feel yeah. like, is this an ad? I'm are we getting, it to you. I'm are it we getting to you. paid Is this sponsored content? No, this is not hashtag sponsored content. No, this is, I like clear. All right. Let's stop with the witty banter and discuss the. I'll let you know when the witty banter starts. Witty is a generous description. Also, a reminder. Thanks a lot. Spaz. <laughs> if you're watching this shit show on Facebook or Twitter, you can send questions our way. We're actually going to have a conversation about politics, policy, and way to bring Ameri- the room down. American, <laughs> American tragedies. No, Jolie's going to bring the room down. Yeah, Jolie, as, as uh, usual. Misery <laughs> oh. beat, beat reporter. Bureau I mean, chief. it is kind misery of my bureau job. Chief, yeah. Misery bureau chief. All right, uh, Jolie, tell us. Uh, obviously, there was a horrific mass shooting this week in Texas Sutherland Springs. Um, you have spent some time out there. Tell us uh, at this point, sort of what we know. About about this um, particular shooter and what we know about this particular case. Um, well, it's really gotten kind of crazy. So Devin Kelly is a twenty-six. Was, he was a 26-year-old man from New Braunfels, which is about a little less than an hour away from Sutherland Springs. Um, apparently, the thought is he was having some uh, 
you know, family problems. He was fighting with his mother-in-law who was at that church. Um, so he kind of came in, as DPS says, like with a mission. Um, and from I don't the think I know whether she was. She wasn't she actually killed. there. She wasn't actually at the church. Yeah. Right. She wasn't. But she had worshipped at this church. Yeah, it was she her belonged church. To the church. Yeah. Right. Um, so it's a really small church. The basic there was like about 50 people who go to this church. Um, you know, 26 were killed and. 20 others were injured, so pretty much everyone in the church almost and were, was affected. Of the right. Unbelievable. It's about, well, it depends. So, yeah, it's about 4%. Depend. There's some different population numbers out there. The okay. zip code of Sutherland Springs is about 650 people, so that would be about 4% of the town mm-hmm. that was just, you know, gunned down. Eliminated. And yeah. Amazing and awful, and yeah, you know, kind of can't believe it. So talk to us about this guy's military history and his criminal history. Yeah, so that's where the crazy part comes into this because really this guy, you know, he had a record. This isn't, you know, someone who was quietly seething at home. He was in the Air Force. He actually was in military prison for a year um, for assaulting his wife and stepson. He actually fractured the skull the of his skull, right? Yeah, stepson. Yeah. So he was, you know, charged and sent to military prison for that for a year. And because of that, the he should not have been allowed to purchase a gun. Um, the Air Force was supposed to get in touch with the federal database that is used as a background checks whenever you're going to buy a gun. And that just fell through the cracks in this case. And he was able to walk into a Sporting academy, good, yeah, yeah. yeah, an academy sporting goods store. And so this allows, this Julie, so this allows people who don't want greater restrictions on access to guns or gun ownership to say the law should have taken care of this guy. Right. It didn't. It should have. And so the, the answer is not to pass new laws, but to enforce existing laws. Yeah, I mean, that could that's definitely the argument because there was he should legally should not have been allowed to purchase this gun. And it was just the Air Force didn't report this and that's why he was able to do this. And so, I mean, are gun rights folks then turning to, you know, it's generally the relatively a similar constituency, the gun rights folks and people who support the military to, you know, a great degree. I mean, are you seeing gun rights folks like go after the Air Force? Well, I, I mean, I mean Paul, this is Paul, a huge Ryan, right? yeah. Paul Ryan, among others, and yeah. national leadership have said that we have to get to the bottom of what happened here, that why this didn't. Well, I think we well, know think what happened. The, I mean, not to be too cynical. Um, but Feel free. The, <laughs> oh, oh, please. The, the, Air, the Air Force mess up gives some leaders cover to mm-hmm. not have a discussion about uh, the gun violence issue, right. I think. Um, it makes you know it makes it easier to say, oh, well, this is the action we need to take. We need to make sure that this it, – it's certainly important for them to take that action, I believe. Um, but that kind of shifts the discussion a little bit, I think, in terms of what the policy action uh, could be going forward. It is also a, a huge black eye for the Air Force. They're right, basically, exactly. res- you know, I, partially I'm, responsible for I'm, I'm noticing that in the last year, not that this has anything to do with Trump, it's just remarkable that it's happened in the last year. There have been a lot of instances of the service uh, verticals. You had that na- those Navy crashes in mm. the you know, hmm. over there's like a lot of weird stuff is happening. As there's a lot of weird to, stuff right? happening. Yes. To, to the various military branches. I don't know what to make of it. It's probably all unrelated and isolated. It just seems like something is going on. There's a lot well, of cases. Well, of, also, like the PTSD stuff. I mean, it is like pretty, you know, it seems relatively common when you have one of these sort of domestic incidents like this. This is somebody with a military background. Yeah. I mean, and he also was he was in a mental facility because he had tried to sneak um, weapons and was trying to carry out death threats at an Air Force base in New Mexico, actually. So this isn't like he, he was known not only with that domestic 
assault, but he had problems. Leave with it to it. Julie to find a New Mexico connection. She always does. Yeah. Um, Hometown represent. Ba- back to Patrick's point, though. I think it's. And I think the interesting conversation about this now going forward, as horrific as the facts of mm. this are, are what are the political ramifications and what are the right. policy ramifications? The policy ramifications may be none, as in in the sense that we. If, in fact, as you say, this was not something that tighter gun laws or restrictions on access to guns or background checks or anything else would have prevented, right? Well, then it's hard. It's hard for people who say we need to tighten access to guns to say, but for the things that we advocate, this happened because that's not really what happened, mm-hmm. right? Right. Well, and then when you're in Sutherland Springs, like it's a small rural community. Like everyone I talked to was like, I'm. This is the opposite. Like it was the good guy with a gun who right, and that's the interesting part of this. Right. Remember, this guy was shot and and uh, sort of apprehended by somebody, uh, the quote unquote good guy with a gun. People around the country who say, well, the reason that this happened is because Texas is an open carry state. It's like, do you have any idea what that actually means? Do you do you have know what the law is? I mean, a lot of people leap to an assumption because it's Texas and because it's guns that somehow we have an effed up environment. And that that effed up environment resulted in this. Well, we can have an effed up environment, and it didn't result in this. I mean, those things aren't necessarily mm, related. Yeah. I mean, what is the response from Texas officials, Ben? Obviously, you know, you saw them sort of rushing to the scene to provide, you know, to, to be at some of these church services afterward. We, we just got a release from Dan right. Patrick's office that he's going with Greg Abbott to meet Mike Pence. Mm. Right. Yeah, Mike Pence is there today. This is a moment. So. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, are, are we hearing anything that I haven't heard any policy discussion other than like a press conference that the Democrats were having today around guns in Texas, right? Yeah, I don't think there's been much of a policy discussion. I, I did hear uh, Ted, at least from Texas Republicans, I did hear Ted Cruz the other night talking about um, making sure and being concerned about the Air Force uh, blunder and making sure we can prevent that in the future. Mm-hmm. Again, I think that's probably the direction which a lot of Republican leaders are going to go. Um, because that's a you know a very clear um, error that they can point to and that they can hopefully try to find a policy solution to, to rally around. Definitely haven't heard any you know gun violence specific proposals from right. Republican leaders yet. Right. Well, but but then uh, Cornyn, John Cornyn, Senator John Cornyn, our senior senator, has been involved with talking to Democrats about ways in which the background check mechanism mm-hmm. can be made to work effectively. Um, Jason Vialba, the state representative from Dallas, has an op-ed today in the Dallas News talking about a, a potential commission to study legislation around gun violence. There are definitely people who are wading into this. But I think, to my mind, a more interesting uh, conversation is actually this whole now is not the time conversation. Hashtag that's, now is not that's the time. Always, you know, well, isn't there yeah. that, that Onion article that comes up every single time one of right. these happens? Right. Yeah. Nothing could <laughs> yeah. have been done. Yeah. Um, this you know, is the only country where the same people who object, uh, uh, so it's not about partisan stuff, but the same people who object to having a conversation at moments like this about gun policy, and it may be that nothing changes as a result of that conversation, but the same people who object even to having a conversation were perfectly happy to to talk about sending the guy who uh, ran over people in the bike path in New York yeah. to Gitmo in about one second. I genuinely want to understand what the distinction is. Why why is it not too soon to talk about dealing with that guy, but it is too soon to talk about this stuff? 
It just right. seems like it's just, it just. I saw somebody posting something funny like it's so it's not the time to now is not the time to talk about Sutherland Springs, but it's been a little break since you know uh, Las Vegas. So now is the, we can talk about <laughs> Las Vegas right now. Yeah, yeah, what yeah is right. The, the yeah. uniform period. Yeah. So <laughs> and I and I just think let's again at the policy and politics notwithstanding, this is a horrible story. Oh, they're all it's, horrible. The, the, I mean, the, 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 one the, is more horrible the than the next. people, you know, the poor family that had like three or four people Ugh. shot. Well, no. we, yeah, the GPS just released the names and there's a lot of the same last names on here. Like it's families. It's not. And an 18 month old baby and, uh, you know, a pregnant woman. I mean, anyway, this is horrible. Both, I think from the same family. Yep. Also. All right. Let's move on because it's too depressing. A reminder, if you're turning on Facebook, you can absolutely post your questions in, in the comments and we'll try to get to them. Uh, also send your questions via Twitter. Um, Evan, I need you to tell us about your unbelievable conversation with Donna Dukes yesterday. Um, I would love to talk about that because I'm going to give Patrick an opportunity to break some news on Twitter here right now. Oh, um, would you like to tell us what the breaking news is? Text. If you're watching live, what's the breaking news? Yeah, absolutely. read it? Guys, don't be so sneaky. Yeah, yeah. Tell um, us. Uh, former State Representative Patricia Harless just uh, texted to say that my husband, Sam Harless, is going to run for State Rep 126. That is the Kevin Roberts seat. Hmm vacated uh, presumably by Kevin Roberts, who is a first-term member, but who has announced that he's going to run for the Ted Poe seat uh, in Congress. Uh, and she said, go ahead and break it now, but say that the official hmm. announcement is coming tomorrow. We want to give Ke uh, uh, Kevin Roberts the day's news cycle, but um, she is saying that her husband's going to run for what was, I believe, her old seat. Is that right? Wasn't yeah, that I believe her so. old yeah. house seat? I believe so. You so heard it here first. Representative Harless just texted that her husband is going to run. Well, he um, may be joining Donna Dukes in the legislature. Yes, he may. Uh, Don, so Donna Dukes uh, and I have been in conversation for about six months. Uh, not long after she was indicted, I reached out to Donna Dukes and I said, look, I'd like to give you an opportunity to tell your version of events. That's what we do in the business of journalism is we give people a chance to tell their story, strange as that may seem. Um, and some people may not agree with that, but I think that's what we do. And Donna Dukes was willing to have that conversation, but at the same time said, look, I'm, I'm in some you know, legal jeopardy here, and I, we'd probably be, my lawyers would love it if I didn't talk, and I don't know that I could talk. It wouldn't be really good in the middle of all this. So I said, okay, well, let's just keep in conversation. And so over the course of many months, I kept saying to her, oh, look, like, you know, time to talk, time to talk. No, can't talk now. Literally the moment that they dropped the charges, I think I sprained my finger racing to text her to say, okay, talk now. And to her great credit, she said, okay, I would like to tell the story now that I'm no longer in legal jeopardy. And we spent a, not a terribly long time, but some time talking about, um, you know, what, 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 what might such an interview look like? And we had the conversation about this. Um, we even joked about the fact that it was in the morning at 7.30, start, 8 o'clock conversation to begin. And she said, you know, oh, well, you know, I've got to get my daughter to school. I guess I can't ask anybody to drive her to school. Lol. Ha ha. You know, we had that conversation. Um, I mean, to her credit, you know, it's like, you know, I appreciate her sense of humor. You know, it's like gallows humor. It's not too soon. Okay. So we had this conversation. She agreed to do it. And she had agreed to come to the Austin Club and do one of our morning conversations, which would have required her to be there at 740 for an eight o'clock start. And we confirmed the night before the interview that she would be there at 740. Well, 740 came and went. No Representative Duke, 745 came and went, no Representative Duke, 750. Finally, we got a phone call. She was on the way. She was going to be late. She had a family emergency involving not her, but another family member, and she was delayed leaving as a result of that. And the consequence of that was that she did not arrive, it turned out, until almost 40 minutes late. And lots of people stuck around for it. Well, I, I said to people, yeah. look. <laughs> Feel free to go. You guys. Yeah. 
we have the Austin Club until 930. They're going to kick us out so some fat-ass lobbyist can have a, a function of some sort, I'm if sure. If you're listening on Facebook. I wasn't yeah. talking about you, fat-ass <laughs> lobbyist. Right. Somebody else's fat-ass was what, what I was thinking about, but not yours. Let's not fat-shame. Anyone in the lobby. Well, when you refer to somebody as a fat-ass lobbyist, I don't think you mean fat as in weight. <laughs> Maybe fat cat. Fat cat, yeah. Of course. Thank you for saving me. <laughs> All right. Um, this, this podcast sponsored by <laughs> fat-ass lobbyists. Uh, so I said, look, we're going to stay and we're going to do this. Could you just get to the ninja part? <laughs> no, you can talk about I actually think the ninja part is less interesting. All right. Tell us what was the most interesting. Give us the the. When I asked notes. her if, she, if her district had any concern with her seeking re-election that she was taking pain medication. And she and she said to me, well, you probably take pain medication. And I noted that I'm kind of a Christian scientist on that sort of thing. I don't even take aspirin for a headache. <laughs> that was a weird little interlude. I like that. I, it that was. was my favorite part. Yeah, yeah, you were lucky that you, you were talking about You were you. very lucky there were no Christian scientists <laughs> in the audience. Go back to New Mexico, Joey. Don't, don't, don't point out what an ecomaniac I am. Right. I've got enough problems. She also said some like pretty remarkable well, things. Well, she like, took out after her colleagues and the de delegation. I mean, the, yeah, she was like Donna Howard was conspiring so, against so this her. Is a, so let me give you kind of behind the scenes of how we do interviews. He, I, I say, like, oh, what happened? And the person I'm interviewing says, oh, there are all these people who are awful and terrible. And I say, name names. And, and they, they say, say, oh, no, I not couldn't. today. Only this time, <laughs> she did. <laughs> and she specifically called out Donna Howard and Celia Israel, two Democrats who were part of the delegation, as having not sufficiently protected her from the perception that she was absent all the time by voting on her behalf or by somehow mm. in, other, in other ways just holding her up. Look, I, I like Representative Dukes just fine. Like, I like everybody just fine. I don't have a winner or losers in this. I don't go like, I like her, I don't like her. It's fine. I give Representative Dukes a ton of credit for coming out and doing this. She talked through the aspects of the story that had been told in the press that she believed were told inaccurately. She challenged the perception of what had happened during the months in which she was under indictment. She, uh, of course, took a great big swing at the Austin American pinata, uh, which had covered this case. Uh, you know, the fact that she didn't call out Sean Collins Walsh by name. His tweet was His tweet best. was it amazing. His so tweet happy. was terrific. He had this tweet that was basically like, here are all the people that Donna Dukes accused of conspiring against her during this conversation. It was like, you know, Donna Howard, Celia Israel, right. the House, the House Journal, <laughs> the Austin American Statesman, right. and ninjas. Somebody needed to start the House Journal Twitter feed yesterday just to push back against her. Hey, say, wait a minute. I mean, she did say, um, she did say some pretty wild things. Well, she things, said that like, the House Journal was wrong. I mean, yeah, we, you know, recordvotes.com has become this go-to source for a lot of people in our business to see, well, what did people vote on or did they vote or were they there? And I didn't want to rely on the recordvotes.com tally of her absences and appearances, so I spent time actually in the House Journal going, okay, did she vote on the budget? No, she didn't. Did she vote on this? No, she didn't. And I went through. I mean, the House Journal is the House Journal. I don't know how much more... Right. Credible Ac source. Accurate. I mean, right. you know, right. fine. Um, Sean Collins Walsh was not there. Ryan Antula from the Statesman was not there. Notice that Debbie Hyatt possibly pranking him made my brother Jonathan Tylove uh, show up in the audience. Uh, he sat there and he loved it because he's like, God, if I had been home and she hadn't shown up for 40 minutes, it would have been boring. But being <laughs> here in person and her not showing up for 40 minutes, it's awesome. Yep. Um, took lots of pictures of the stage empty and stuff. So. Uh, let me ask a couple questions coming in on yep. social media. Uh, Jake asks, so will any Democrats in Texas go to Donna Dukes and support her in the primary and the general, given recent headlines in her Texas Tribune yeah. talk with Evan? She, I mean, already. Any Democrats yes. in Texas? Yeah. We know some specifically. Yeah, yeah she so already has a list. list of supporters for her re-election campaign that includes 
uh, four members of, of Congress from Texas, uh, Sheila Jackson, Lee, Mark Vesey, uh, Al Green, and I'm, I think I'm blanking on the fourth if someone it's wants uh, Eddie to Bernice Johnson. Eddie Bernice Johnson, um, and a number of, uh, I, I want to say, maybe at almost or at least two dozen state representatives from mm -hmm. across the state. Uh, but the, you know, the question there is whether any state lawmakers um, or uh, members of Congress from the Austin area, which right. she actually represents from Travis County, are going to get involved. Well, so the, uh, in the, so the answer to that is no. I, I know for a fact from because I made some phone calls on the night before the interview, day before the interview to the delegation. And I said, look, what are you going to do? I believe that mm -hmm. Representative Dukes, now that she's running again, would like to have your support. Right. I assume so. I don't know it for a fact, but I assume so. Will you support her? Kirk Watson is already supporting an opponent of hers, Cheryl Cole, the former city uh, mayor pro tem, pardon me, of Austin, former council member. Um, and I confirm that with him. He's listed. There was that weird thing about Mayor Adler yesterday, too. Well, that's too. a whole other conversation we can have. He's not actually endorsed her, even though he was on her website, and now they've removed it. But the, the other representatives in the delegation told me, and I, talked, I communicated with all of them, we're going to stay out of the primary. We decided to stay out of the primary as a group. We're not going to endorse Dukes. We're not going to endorse an opponent. Now, I asked some of them, are you going to support Dukes if she's the nominee in the fall? Some said no. One said yeah, if she's the nominee, I'm going to support the Democrat, who is the candidate. After the interview yesterday, in which she took out after two members of the delegation, the person who I talked to who said I might support her in the fall said, you know, honestly, after what she did yesterday, I might not support her in the mm -hmm. fall after that. Look, no love lost. But to the question specifically about members of the legislature who are supporting her, Garnet Coleman told me on the record two days ago, I'm supporting her in the primary. I'm sending her $10,000, and I'm going to send her more if she asks for it. Mm -hmm. You stand by your friend. I've known her since we were in high school together. Wow. And he, and he said, among other things, this is the white community telling the black community who should represent them. He was very specific about that. And, I, I, and he said that there are a bunch of members of the legislature who are going to support Representative Dukes. This is going to be a mess. It should be noted, one of her primary opponents is black. Two of her primary Two opponents, at least, are black. Right. And I met a third African-American candidate in that race, who I don't know a woman who's uh, – I don't know that she has a party. I don't know what her party affiliation is. Mm -hmm. She was one of those people in your spreadsheet, I think, who was all the way over to the right. Okay. Party <laughs> affiliation unknown. But there are two African-American candidates at least running against her Democratic primary, Cheryl Cole and this gentleman I met yesterday who was Michael Dell's chief of staff mm. at Dell and now is a tech startup guy. I mean, it's, a, it's complicated. It's yeah. complicated. All right, well, we're going to move on to another topic here, but I just want to remind you, if you're listening on iTunes, please consider reviewing us and subscribing. Those ratings help us reach more listeners like you. One recent review from someone called Need Lives 22, Needs 22 Lives, apparently, on <laughs> iTunes called The Tribcast, quote, my weekly go-to podcast for Texas political news. Always informative. Love how the team makes politics fun. I was hoping not to hear the word sucks. <laughs> yeah, we don't read the ones that say suck. Well, maybe we will. One of these weeks, Bobby's going to give me a terrible one to read. <laughs> just so that you all <laughs> review more. Uh, all right. You'll just read whatever's on the page. Right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. This is Emily Hamshaw. I mean, Ramshaw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Before you have to jet, Evan, why don't you talk to us about the congressional races? We can't have Jolie talk about Ted Poe's uh, decision. Uh, would you like Jolie to talk about Ted Poe's decision? <laughs> yeah, Patrick. I'm very well sure. informed. In yeah. Right. We have congressional. If only he was from New Mexico. We have Texans in Congress. Well, our logo does still kind of look like it's New Mexico. It's very much the New Mexican. Uh, exactly. We have Texans. 
Texans in Congress like deciding right and left that they're not going to run again. So what is the deal, and who's going to replace all these people? uh, Three members of the uh, three Republican members of the Texas congressional delegation announced within the past week that they're not running for re-election. First, there was uh, Jeb Hensarling from Dallas. He announced Tuesday he was not seeking re-election. Then two days later, Lamar Smith. Uh, from San Antonio announced he's not seeking re-election. And then just yesterday on Tuesday, uh, Ted Poe uh, from the Houston area announced he's not running for re-election. Um, and, and that's so, after Sam Johnson. I mean, it's right. like... Right, yeah. Sam Johnson from Plano Quattro. announced earlier this right. year that he was not going to run for re-election. And so you got all these potential congressional candidates, like, you know, lining up, frothing at the mouth. I mean, but what is... Is there some... <laughs> frothing at the mouth. Is there some <laughs> trend here? At ease. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, is there... Is something... Is this a sort of larger, um, you know, sign of something bigger brewing? Is this frustration with you know, you Trump? Could, What's the... You know, it, it's hard to say. Their, their public or these guys just getting old. Their, their public statements didn't betray too much insight into their their decision, I think. But um, you could make the argument that these three retirements, or at least two of them, are kind of separate from the retirements that are happening in else, elsewhere in the country mm-hmm. due to the toxic uh, political environment under Trump. With Lamar Smith and with Jeb Hensarling, they are committee chairmen who are term limited and would have to give up their gavels uh, by the end of uh, 2018. Um, and so they would, you know, return to uh, being just regular being members regular of Congress members, or having yeah. to seek a committee chairmanship on another another panel. Mm-hmm. And so you could definitely argue that that factored into it. Um, you know, Lamar Smith obviously has been in Congress uh, longer, I think, than I've been alive. Um, that was a dig yeah, at you. That's not hard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you could you could argue that it's just been you know just time time to hang it up. Um, you know, Ted Poe had some health problems. Um, Ted Poe had very leukemia, serious, right? very leukemia? serious health problems. Um, and while yeah. he, he did say in his statement that he is in good health, he just wants to spend more time with his family. But, right. but the Texas. flip, but the the other way to look at it is Henschling was not in any trouble. Henschling didn't even necessarily have challengers who'd raised five bucks. Right. The fact is that both Lamar Smith and, and Ted Poe had been outraised by challengers, had they not? Sure, yeah, and I'm sure Demo- our, our listeners are interested in this. These are three— Overwhelmingly Republican. Right. Yeah, these right. are three solidly Republican districts, and right now the, the odds are on these members of Congress being replaced by Republicans. But you did see in two of the districts uh, some pretty spirited uh, Democratic— uh, primaries uh, unfolding in Lamar Smith's district. There's been a very spirited Democratic primary. One of the uh, candidates in that Democratic primary, Joseph Kopser, had outraised Lamar Smith mm-hmm. for two quarters in a row, the, the second and third quarter. And then in Ted Poe's district, you had a Democratic challenger, Todd Litton, who outraised Poe in the, in the second quarter and came pretty close, if I recall, in the third quarter. So um, I don't know how much that played into it, but uh, definitely something to consider. National media thinks this is an indication that there's a blue wave coming. I'm just really skeptical about that. There would have to yeah, be I mean, a, a the sh- last night's election. Election results make them. I mean, are last night's election results playing into any of this? Well, Virginia is a purple trending to blue mm-hmm. state. Texas is not only red but blood red, and I think that the environment in Virginia and the environment in Texas are not the same environment. Now, if it is a wave of the kind that some are now trying to say is here because of Virginia, then all bets are off. But in order for those districts, would you agree? In order for those districts to be competitive, there would really need to be wave conditions. Yeah, I, I think so. I think it will be also fascinating to see what kind of Republican emerges as the Republican nominee in those districts. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that in uh, at least the Lamar Smith district and the top, and the Ted Poe district, uh, you know, some of these uh, very viable Democratic candidates are hoping that a more conservative, far right candidate emerges so that they can uh, kind Have of a shot make, make that contrast. Yeah, right. So. 
Uh, right, just a reminder, we've got a few minutes left. If you're tuning in on social media, send your questions our way. Uh, we may have the integration of both Jolie's beat and Patrick's beat in the Democratic contender the for... Time for me to leave. Yes, <laughs> sayonara, Evan. Go make your flight. Uh, in the, the sort of biggest name to emerge in the run for governor, and this is obviously not certain yet, but, but Patrick, tell us what we know about Lupe Valdez. She is the uh, longtime Dallas County Sheriff. Uh, to, to folks in Austin, uh, they may recall that she had this dust up with Governor Abbott in 2015. It was kind of, um, uh, you know, a, a uh, conflict over the uh, immigration enforcement uh, policy in uh, in her in her department. Um, kind of was a precursor to the debate we saw in Travis County with Sally Hernandez, and that obviously was the driving force behind the Sanctuary Cities mm -hmm. ban that passed and Abbott signed into law earlier this year. Um, and so, I, you know, I'd say she's definitely the most prominent name that, is, that has come up, that has surfaced. I mean, right now there's a, this group of very little-known Democrats running for governor. Um, there is uh, Andrew White, the son of the late Mark governor, White, Mark White, right. is looking at a run, but there's some resistance in the party because he is, uh, you know, unabashedly a quote-unquote conservative Democrat and may not line up with them on a few issues. Has mm -hmm. um, Valdez officially thrown in, or has she just said, no, I'm she exploring hasn't. it? Um, she has said that she's in the exploratory process and that she's being encouraged and she's she's listening. So nothing's official, but, you know, the clock is ticking for Democrats to find a very ser a serious, just a serious candidate for governor. Oh, Filing right. period opens on Saturday. And, and ends a month later. Has it ever been this late to not have? I mean, I think you had a story earlier this week with that. I think you know Julian Castro and Wendy Davis are both starting to you know sort yeah, there of was sweat a, it in Texas. There was a panel last weekend that Evan moderated here in Austin. He had Julian Castro and Wendy Davis on it, and there was just it was kind of striking. Um, there was not much happy talk from those mm -hmm. two, uh, you know, people who we would consider top Democrats in Texas about the statewide slate. Um, you know, Wendy Davis even, you know, cracked the door open for, to, to run again herself. She said it was like 99% or something. But what was notable yeah. is she said it's because no one else is stepping forward. She was pretty frank about it. Right. And Julian Castro conceded that, it, you know, it has been a tough cycle to recruit candidates when he was asked about the, the statewide ticket. Right. I mean, even Lupe Valdez, so I thought it was telling that, like, it wasn't that she just came up with this idea. She basically said, I've been a Approached, you know, people are asking me to run. You know, we don't even have people who sort of independently just want to run right now. Right. Such a you know, and, yeah, and it's it's you know, it, it's definitely a difficult situation for Democrats on the, on the statewide side of the ticket. I mean, they have had so much enthusiasm mm -hmm. and so much, I think, recruitment success in some of the congressional races and some of the state legislative races. And so it's not that they don't there aren't opportunities for them in 2018. It's not that they're not seizing some of those opportunities, but it's just this statewide ticket right now that continues, I think, to be a, a difficult situation for them. Is you know, I've, I've heard that Abbott with his massive, you know, $40 million war chest is actually like having a hard time raising even more money because there's no sort of contender, no Democratic opponent. I mean, is she a, a big enough name that he could potentially, you know, say, hey, look, I'm, I'm I need to stick my hand out? Or is, you know, she's sort of not a serious enough contender at this point that, you know, it doesn't even it's not a blip on the radar. I think she could be a rallying point for him. I mean, especially given the past that they have debating immigration issues. Uh, and it depends also what kind of support she gets if she does run. You know, do, do the Castro brothers get behind her? Do the someone like Wendy Davis get behind her? I mean, that could certainly provide a, a rallying point for Abbott and his donors if um, the, you know, quote unquote, Texas Democratic establishment lines up behind her mm -hmm. early on. Well, time is getting short for them, and time is getting short for us. If you like listening to the Tribcast every week, please do us a favor and leave us a review on iTunes. And if you value the Tribune's nonprofit, nonpartisan newsroom, please consider making a donation at support.texastribune.org. Thanks to Shiny Ribs for our music. And on behalf of Evan, Patrick, Jolie, and our producers, Todd and Bobby, this is Emily. Thanks for listening. Texas talking.
the last Tribcast in this office. Oh my gosh. Are you, are you sure? I, I, 